Good evening, everyone. What up? Okay, that's informal. Uh, Pastor Mary, as you all can tell, I was going to make an announcement that I was here to replace Mary, but then I thought that would be quickly evident to all of you. <laughs> yep. Uh, she is flying right now back from Washington, D.C. She was there for the installation service of one of her very best friends, Megan, a classmate of mine at seminary at the CRC Church in Washington, D.C. So she's flying right now, so we'll remember her in our prayers in just a minute. But before we do that, we're going to take the offering. The, the offering is for Community Care Fund, which you all know, so I won't belabor the point. But this is our opportunity to strengthen the giving muscle. And no matter how old you are, no matter how many resources God has blessed you with, there is a need to strengthen these giving muscles. And so I'd like to invite those who are, are going to do so to come forward and take that now. please join me in prayer. Loving and gracious God, for these good gifts that you have given to us, we now return them to you. And we pray, O oh God, that you would multiply them. We pray, God, that you would use them to advance your name and to advance your kingdom. We pray, God, that they would become a light that shines in this dark world, a source of hope, a source of goodness, Another sign that your kingdom is breaking into this world and that you rule and that you reign. And God, for the needs that have already been mentioned, we pray them and we bring them before you, believing that you, loving Father, long for your children to come and to bring all of our requests, all of our needs before you, and that you long to fulfill them. We give you thanks, Father, for your love toward us. And we pray this now the only, only way we can through your Son, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Tonight we continue our series on Sermon on the Mount, not as strong as I was expecting. I'll report that back to Mary. We continue in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we are moving in uh, further into chapter 7. So I invite you to open your Bibles. They hopefully just flip open to page 788, chapter 7. We're going to begin at verse 7. Page 788, chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus says to the crowd gathered, Ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives. And everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there any among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. I don't know about you, but every time I approach an event that I've been anticipating for a really long time, and it's almost to the end, I start to lament it even before it's gone. You ever have that? A family vacation, perhaps, a presidential election, perhaps. <laughs> I, as the Tuesday's election's been approaching, I've been thinking about the things that I have learned, the things that I've been uh, understanding better as a result of sort of following along this election process. Number one is, I am going to really miss receiving phone calls from important people. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, I have already heard from Bill Clinton, Sarah Palin, Mitt Romney, and Barack Obama. What I don't know is why Barack Obama gets Bill Clinton and Romney gets Sarah Palin, but that's for another conversation. I've also, have to be honest, I've realized that the only reason that I have a landline in my home and pay $30 a month is to make it easier for the pollsters to reach me. <laughs> they have direct access. We run from anywhere in the home to pick up that line almost every time this time of year. It's a pollster. Uh, on a much more serious note, I, I have also realized, and I have come to learn, that how much one believes, how much confidence a person has in their political candidate or in their political party has a direct relationship with how much they're willing to invest in that process. So the more trust or confidence or hope that you have in a particular candidate or a political party, the more willing you are to invest your time, money, resources, and at the very least vote, but at the very most that you're going to give something of yourself in order to help that campaign. What I as I was reflecting on this week, I've, I've realized what's true of political campaigns is also true of prayer. You see, the, the Pharisees had some sense of this. They had an understanding of this. And we can see what Jesus was getting at through, in a couple of places of how they misunderstood what prayer was all about. You see, we got this a couple weeks ago when Pastor Mary preached on that section leading up to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus corrects them. It was obvious that they thought prayer was about impressing other people first, right? We, talk, we read about how they would 
wear certain kinds of clothes and they would stand in certain places so that everyone would know that what they were doing. And Jesus says they got their full reward. They wanted people to notice. They wanted to impress other people and they got it. They misunderstood what prayer was all about. Right? Immediately following that passage, he goes and says, and they misunderstood it in another way. They thought that it was about impressing me. They thought that the kind of words that they spoke, the sort of rhetoric that they used would be impressive enough to God that that would, might somehow move them. But again, it was about how they looked. First, at how they looked to other people, and then in the second correction, about how they looked to God. They clearly misunderstood prayer. But then in the passage that we read that we just read, we also see that they not only misunderstood prayer, they misunderstood the one to whom they prayed. And that we find out in this passage about breads and versus stones and about a snake versus a fish. Who, who would be a good and loving parent and have their child come and ask them for something that they needed and respond by something that could either be of no good to them or in the snake's case, something of harm? You see that it was obvious from these two passages that they not only misunderstood what prayer was about and who it was for, but they, they misunderstood the God that they were praying to in significant, in significant ways. As I looked at this passage more carefully, I, my initial response was, I am so glad that we don't do that. I'm so glad that we haven't fallen for that mistake, that we haven't misunderstood prayer, we haven't misunderstood God. And then I thought for just a moment long, I thought, or have we? Or have we? I thought, you know, there are those among us who think of prayer and we think of it kind of like the genie in a bottle prayer guide. That you rub the genie and God provides whatever you want. It, it's known as the health and wealth gospel or the name it, claim it, or the blab it, grab it gospel. We just simply speak words of things that we want, and God is somehow obligated to provide them for us. In some ways, it turns prayer into magic. It's like, I want this, boom, there it is. And as a result, many of us have been quite disappointed, right? Because we've asked for things, whatever we've wanted, and it hasn't shown up. We've wanted an A on a test we didn't study for, and lo and behold, we got a 58. Where was God? Or we wanted to have the first chair, or we wanted to make the team, or we wanted to start, and all of a sudden we didn't get exactly what we wanted when we wanted it. And we think, where was God? At times I wonder if our prayer life doesn't sound a little bit like my uh, five-year-old daughter. I, I don't know if you know, there was a significant holiday this past Wednesday, and it was... Halloween. So can you just imagine, in the expanse of your imagination, imagine what she might have wanted to have for breakfast on Thursday? <laughs> Candy. Well, I, I didn't know if the laugh meant that you did know or you didn't. <laughs> Candy. So she comes and says, Dad, can I have candy for breakfast? Her mother and I discussed it briefly and made the decision that she could not. But I wonder if at times our prayer life doesn't sound like that five-year-old where we just come up with whatever we want and then expect that God's going to respond to our immediate needs the way that we'd like. So if that's on one end of the spectrum, that we see God as the, 
the, the person who is going to do exactly what we want, whenever we want, in the ways that we want it. And he's sort of obligated to do so on our terms and in our ways. That's over here. Then the, on the other end of the extreme, there's, there's another view of God. And I'll call this the Wizard of Oz view of prayer. Right? We're all familiar with the story of the Wizard of Oz. Dorothy gets taken to Oz, and she, along the way, makes some friends. And then they're trying to get to see who? The wizard, right? And the wizard is the one who's going to be able to take care of, is going to get Dorothy back home, and is going to get the, the tin man and the lion and the scarecrow, all that they've ever longed for. And then Toto, oh, Toto, why did you have to go and do it? But Toto pulls back the curtain, and there is just a man. And I wonder if, for some of us if our prayer life isn't like the wizard, that all of a sudden it's something in our lives is sort of pulled back the, the curtain, pushed back the wall, and we think, there's really nobody there. The, the, the answers exist inside of ourselves. Isn't that the wizard's advice? That the, all you've ever needed, you've already had. Now go on your way, and you can figure it out for yourself. I wonder for some of us if it, that hasn't been our view towards prayer. That we think there's an impotent God behind the wall who really can't do anything that we need. That if we're going to figure this all out, we've got to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And we've got to figure this out. And we need to talk to the right people and get into the right school. And just take life by the horns and figure it out. Because all we've ever needed before is right here inside of us. And so I wonder if there aren't some of us who have not only misunderstood prayer, we've misunderstood God. Some of us, because we've seen God over here is the genie, the one who could give us everything we've ever wanted. And perhaps some of us over on this side, that God isn't capable of giving us anything at all. And some of us have been hurt deeply. We've been wounded by our misunderstandings about prayer, and we've asked for things that we've genuinely wanted, some things that we've thought that we've needed, and all of a sudden it's just too hard. It's too hard to ask for anything anymore because we've been so deeply disappointed. We've been so hurt that we just figure, oh, I just need to stop. I can't risk it one more time. I can't ask for one more thing and not get it and still believe in a God who cares for me. These misunderstandings have deep, deep and lasting implications for what we believe. And I have found that our beliefs often shape our behaviors. And so I want to go back to the text and see for those of us who perhaps have had a misunderstanding of, of what this passage of Scripture offers, I hope to clarify it and to correct it. And I hope that God's Spirit is at work tonight so that we can see the truth. So first, if we're going to understand this passage appropriately, we have to, to see it in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And you, I'm so grateful we've been walking through it so you know some of this, right? Throughout the passage, Jesus refers to God as Father. Right? No, no Jew would have ever considered addressing God as Father before Jesus gave permission to do so. So when we look in chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 8, Jesus says, For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He's establishing some some rules, some, some boundaries, some context for the, relation, the nature of the relationship. It's one of father and son, father and daughter. If you look, flipping the page, to verse 26 of chapter 6, 
In the do not worry passage, there's two of them. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Your father feeds them. If if your heavenly father is going to care for the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, won't he care for you? Then skipping down a few verses to verse 32. For it is the Gentiles who strive after all these things. And indeed, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. See how he keeps coming back to this idea of father a relationship, a close relationship between father and children. These offers, ask, seek, knock, are done in the context of a very personal, close, caring relationship. Next we see that Jesus not only says ask, he goes to seek and knock. Some have thought that these are sort of an increasing intensity of first ask, if that doesn't get, then seek, then knock. They're really three different forms, Jewish forms of, of prayer. So instead of thinking of the sort of increasing intensity, it's just like pray, pray, pray. He's offering it. Pray, pray, pray. Ask for what you need. Inside of this covenantal, loving relationship between a father and children, ask for what you need. And then in case we didn't understand it completely, he, he, he clarifies it for us. And he says, because if you ask, you're going to receive. And if you seek, you're going to. And if you knock, the door is going to be open. There's going to be a response. There's going to be a response from this God who knows and loves you. He's going to respond to you. He's going to offer something of which you need. Ask, seek, knock. This response. Inside this response is something that's known as the divine passive. Ask and it will be given to you. By whom? Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. By whom? It's something that's common throughout the scriptures where there's a divine passive. It's not included in the text of who provides it. And yet in the the scriptures, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, it was commonly understood. Everyone knew that was God's action. So if we're going to understand prayer, we have to come and think about this door a bit. The ask, the seek, the knock. Because really what... It comes down to, if we're going to understand prayer appropriately, we have to understand this relationship. And what we really have to understand is, who do we believe is on the other side of this door? As we come and ask, who are we asking? As we seek, who are we coming to seeking? If we're knocking on a door, who do we believe is on the other side? Who do we believe is on the other side? There's a, quite a familiar story about... Uh, college student who goes into a chaplain's office, not this college chaplain's, but goes into the college chaplain's office and sits down one day and says to the chaplain, chaplain, I don't think I believe in God anymore. And unfazed, the chaplain responds and says, well, tell me about the God that you don't believe in, because I may not believe in that God either. I wonder if for some of us, our prayer lives haven't been eroded Because we've had a misunderstanding of who God is. That instead of seeing the person behind this door as a loving father who longs to see his children flourish, longs to see them thrive, longs to see them have everything that they could ever need in order to be the very best in this life. That instead of seeing a God like that, we have seen a God who might 
offer a stone instead of a piece of bread or might offer a fish or a, a, a snake instead of a fish. That the real problem with our prayers is that we don't know the God who is behind this door. You've heard this week that a member of our community, Paul Seitzma, passed away. He's a 38-year-old man, married to his wife Stephanie. They have two young girls, Ella and Maggie, who are 10 and 8. What you may not know is over the course of this past year, Paul lost more than 100 pounds. He'd been quite overweight and longed to, to live a life that would allow him to be an active father with his two young girls. And he had worked so hard and had written so beautifully on his Facebook page about what that journey had been like and how much he had learned and how much he was able to do now. And so it was tragically ironic this week when he was taken from them. And over the last few days, I've spent a good deal of time with, with his wife Stephanie and their girls and their family. And there have been people who, while Paul was still alive, who were pleading, begging God to spare his life. Stephanie this morning told me, she goes, I was praying for a Lazarus moment. I was asking in faith, in boldness, that God would spare his life. But he didn't. And I don't know why. I don't know why. But I do know that we came with boldness as a community, praying with her for that. This is an open-ended passage, and one of the reasons it's so challenging and difficult for us to understand is we don't always, can't always make sense of why God answers certain prayers and why he doesn't answer others. What I do know is that so, since Paul died, that there have been swarms of people, their communities have just come around them and cared for them, and have been praying that God's peace would reign in their lives. And that they would experience comfort, profound comfort from the God who loves them, from the Father who created them. And I've seen those prayers answered. You see, in the scriptures, there's certain things that we can be sure of. God assures us of peace. God assures us of forgiveness. God assures us that he will be our comfort in all times. And those things, one of the commentators says, those are redemptive gifts that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will always provide. When we ask for forgiveness, we will receive forgiveness. When we seek God's peace, we will receive God's peace. When I ask it to stop raining, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. When I've seen people longing to be in relationships, I've sometimes seen those prayers answered and sometimes I've seen those prayers go unanswered. What's the key is, what do you believe about the one who's behind the door? Because my five-year-old daughter thinks I was being quite unfair and mean when I didn't provide candy for breakfast on Thursday. And yet I know, and I hope you do too, it was in her very best interests. I can see the big picture. I know what's best for her. And in the same way, as we live this life of discipleship, 
following after Jesus Christ, what we have to be able to do is believe and trust that the one who is answering and at times not answering our prayers is a loving father who longs to see his children flourish. Does it always make sense? I'd be lying if I told you it did. But what I believe with all of my being, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is that the God who hears my prayers is my loving Father, and He is your loving Father. And He wants what's best for you even more than you want what's best for you. Because He's trustworthy, and He's loving, and He is good. Tonight, I know that many of us walk in here with prayers. We walk in here with burdens, things that perhaps we've been asking for. Some of them we haven't even dared ask. Perhaps some of us have come here like the genie in the bottle sort of God, and we recognize tonight that those aren't things I should be asking. And some of us are over here, and we recognize that there's lots of prayers that we've thought about praying, but we haven't prayed them because we're not even sure God cares or knows us or is able to move and act on our behalf. And what we'd like to do tonight is provide an opportunity for you to write down some of the prayers, some of the requests that you have on your mind and on your hearts. There's a, one of the commentators who said, this is the most open-ended, astonishingly open invitation to pray that there is in all of the scriptures. It's an outrageous offer that God would say, hey, ask for it. Seek, knock, whatever you've got, come and bring it. What a gift that we can bring all of our requests before a Heavenly Father who knows and loves us. And so in just a minute, I'm going to invite the, the worship team's going to come forward after I pray. And there's pens and post-it notes down here. And what I'd like to do is invite you forward. What would you like to ask of your loving Heavenly Father? What is it that you've carried with you that you thought, I'm not sure that he cares. He cares. He cares. Come up. Write it on a post-it note. We're going to move the door down here to the front. And post it on that door. Believing that your Heavenly Father loves you. That your Heavenly Father knows you. And that your Heavenly Father hears every prayer. Will you please pray with me? Our loving and gracious God, we confess that so often we have longings in our hearts, requests that come to our minds that we never move on, we never give voice to. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray tonight that you would move us and that you would straighten our thinking that you would plant the truth deep inside of our hearts and minds and souls so that we know that there is a loving Father who is behind that door longing to hear and to move on the prayers of his people. Hear us, God, now as we continue in prayer, as we come and gather and write them on these pieces of papers and bring them before your throne and as we knock at your door. Amen.